Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Our message this morning um, on Mother's Day, um, I have sat through, as you probably all have, a number of Mother's Day messages as, uh, and those of you who are men and maybe have come away and thought, um, well, that was great for uh, my wife or my mother, but what did I get out of that? Um, and so I wanted to make this very intentionally a message for everyone that mothers will, Lord willing, get a lot out of, but all of us will as well, by looking at some principles of... Um, the story of Hannah. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, combined with the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5. And so we'll pull those two together and we'll see what the Lord has for us that we can learn to live in a world gone mad is in essence uh, the title here, a message for everyone in a world gone mad. Um, Another thing that I found out for my wife after I started working on this message was that apparently Hannah is a very popular person to preach about on Mother's Day. So (laughs) I didn't realize that, I guess maybe because I didn't pay close enough attention to the Mother's Day messages. But um, nonetheless, we're going to hear maybe a little bit different facet or angle on some of the things. If you've heard other Mother's Day messages about Hannah, we will try to make that a little bit different, but also insightful on some of the aspects about her. So if you're one who likes to have the word open in front of you, 1 Samuel chapter 1 is where we'll be in just a moment. I'll read the story here. But uh, I want to say first off that Hannah, as you probably know, was facing about the most difficult challenge that anyone could face in her um, time period, the time frame that she lived in, the culture that she lived in. Being barren without children was just not a pleasant thing by any means. And so when you come to this message here, I realize that some, who knows, some in this audience may be experiencing the same affliction of Hannah. Maybe you're in that struggle right now. This is going to be a really good message for you. Maybe you have some sort of totally different challenge, has nothing to do with barrenness, but we all have some challenges in our lives and some things that we might tend to be anxious or concerned about. And so as I was preparing this, um, my, my wife also mentioned to me that she's been struggling a little bit waking up during the night, just feeling anxious over the world that our children are going to inherit, are going to live in. I have seven kids, ages 22 to 10, and so we've got plenty of worrying that we could be doing <laughs> with that number. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit, and we could understand how easy it is to have a a level of anxiety just looking at the world that we live in. And so that's what this message is going to try to address, looking at how how Hannah faced the, uh, what could have really been a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of concern for her about being barren. And yet she didn't just cower over that and bury her head in the sand. And um, she decided to take some deliberate action, in essence, through prayer, taking action to change things. And so let's go ahead and review. Um, 
you know, I understand not only because Hannah may, have, may or may not have been used a lot for uh, a Mother's Day sermon, but most of us are probably familiar with the story. So I will not uh, read word for word everything here. We're just going to kind of go over the story starting in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where we're first introduced to a man named Elkanah, who is Hannah's wife. It just so happens he has two wives, one Hannah and the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had, had children, but Hannah had none, we're told. And it says, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. And so he goes there to sacrifice. And it says in the text that he gives Hannah a double portion of the sacrifice that is made because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't you mean more, or don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And I um, pause there for a moment. <laughs> to reflect as a man and a husband and say that, you know, particularly on Mother's Day, dads, husbands, let's not be as insensitive as Elkanah. About <laughs> if you can read this and not see some insensitivity, um, and I've heard some teachings on this that said, well, the culture of that day, this was just, you know, kind of a common thing to say, and he wasn't really being insensitive, but I don't know. I can't, I can't look at that and see anything but a lot of insensitivity, insensitivity on Elkanah's part. So, Lesson number one for the day, if you're a man or a husband, um, don't be that insensitive to your wife to tell her that, you know, it's basically saying this, this struggle that you're having, this, you know, all this emotion over your barrenness, why is it such a big deal to you? Am I not enough for you? And uh, that's just not wise, just not going to cut it. So enough picking on Alcana, but try to learn that lesson as a man or husband. Now, obviously it didn't help her either because we're told just a couple of verses later, she's in bitterness of soul and weeping, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Eli, uh, again, is the high priest there. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Hannah replies, listen to her gentle, respectful reply. She says, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answers and says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And it just so happened that God did that, granted what was asked as they go back home and Alcanah lays with his wife and it says, the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And then a little bit later on, the boy is weaned and she fulfills her vow and uh, takes him and presents him before the Lord where he, he would live and serve the Lord always. And then in chapter two, Hannah has a, a great prayer that we'll look at a little bit. 
as we get um, deeper into the message here, um, we'll check out uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Um, so the, the first, very first thing that you have to notice about Hannah is her devotion um, to the Lord. Um, she was one who sought the Lord and his will all out. And as I, as I start to kind of look at Hannah and point out some things to you, I want to set a stage for us here that, um, well, I'm going to, to give you some reasons or, or things to, to be like or emulate about Hannah. There is nothing in Hannah that is worthy of emulating, just like there's nothing in me or nothing in any of us worthy of emulating apart from Jesus Christ. And so we've, we've got to set the stage that way. Hannah here, we're going to talk about her and some characteristics of her only because of her God and the one that she loved. Um, there's, there's no good works or anything in her apart from that. And so that brings us really to the most important thing that we have to kind of set before we can even move into the message. And that is um, an understanding that if you have not clothed yourself in the righteousness of Christ, if you have not put on his righteousness, acknowledge that you are a sinner, like Hannah was a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And the only savior who can take care of your sin problem is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect sinless life. He went to the cross, was beaten and bloodied and crucified on my behalf and on your behalf. And you need to make that personal and receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you've not done that yet, um, now is a fantastic time. Today is the day of salvation. And so find one of the elders, myself afterwards, and get that taken care of. Um, that's the most important thing of all, obviously. And anytime I go and preach anywhere, I'm going to make that gospel message preeminent because I don't know all of you. I don't know where you stand with the Lord. And it's my obligation as a preacher of his word to ensure that everyone has heard clearly um, the gospel. Uh, hand in hand with that is the fact that the rest of this message is going to be really tough for you to put into practice if you don't have a relationship with Christ. Understand that we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. The Spirit comes and takes up residence in you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's no way that you can apply the fruit of the Spirit. There's, there's that fruit that is there comes from the Holy Spirit working in you. And so realize that the rest of this message will be kind of lost on you if you don't know him yet, but we can take care of that. Um, you know, right now you can bow and pray just in your heart and receive Christ, or we can take care of that afterwards. So that, that's the preeminent thing. If you miss the rest of the message, get the gospel. <laughs> get the gospel and sow, sow that seed deep down in your heart and know and trust and, and love Jesus Christ. And it's because uh, Hannah, you know, Hannah, of course, came before Jesus walked on this earth, but it's because of her devotion to her creator, to God, that she has some things, characteristics in her that we want to look at. And first and foremost is her devotion to prayer. Now, I want to um, dig into the text a little bit here. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about her devotion to prayer. But the, the one thing that you notice right away is that Elkanah, her husband, has two wives. Um, doesn't come as a huge surprise, honestly, in the Old Testament, which is really sad. From the beginning, God created man 
and woman, male and female, and that is the way marriage was to be from the very beginning. One man, one woman for life. And so what Elkanah does here is not excused. And I really want to point out that regardless of the fact that when we come to faith in Christ, we are forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future, that doesn't mean that sin does not bear consequences for ourselves and a lot of times, sadly, for others. And the sin of Elkanah having two wives is harshly bearing consequences for one of those wives in particular, for Hannah. Um, Were it not for Peninnah being part of the picture here, Hannah would still be barren. Um, You know, the Lord closed her womb, it says. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. So she'd still have that problem, but it would certainly not be magnified the way it is by Peninnah, her rival, being egging her on, constantly, um, you know, berating her and, and attacking her in essence. So realize that your, when we sin, my sin, your sin, it has grave consequences and it can affect a lot more than just yourself. And that should hopefully help us to um, you know, consider that when we are tempted to sin. Now, there are a lot of references to prayer a handful of them at least in this section that I read. And one of the things that Hannah discovered is the joy of victory through prayer. And her prayers really did uh, bear fruit um, for her and for others. Matthew Henry wrote this about prayer. You may have heard his name, Matthew Henry, from the 1600s, going back a long time, one of my favorite Bible commentators. And he wrote this, Uh, Prayer is heart's ease to a gracious soul. Prayer will smooth the countenance. It should do so. None will long remain miserable who use aright the privilege of going to the mercy seat of a reconciled God in Christ Jesus. And so just a, a really good reminder from Matthew Henry about the vast importance, in fact, as we think about this subject this morning, the number one thing that we can do in a world gone mad is to pray. That's really at the core or the heart of this. And I would say, of course, that it doesn't have to be living in the culture that we're in or in a world gone mad to, to be important to pray. It should be important to pray all the time. But when we're in a situation like we're in in our world right now, prayer should be even more amplified even more valuable, even more vital to us. And that should really be evident um, to us. And so it was apparent that Hannah had this great devotion to putting, laying her problems, her challenges before the Lord and asking him to do the work, not burdening herself which with what was a massive burden for her. And so in the situation with Peninnah, she prayed, she wept before the Lord, she cried out to God to handle things and to take things himself. And as we look at that, I don't see in the text anyway that Hannah had anxiety over her situation. We're not told that. Um, I would honestly be quite surprised if she didn't have at least some anxiety, knowing how deep of a struggle this was for women of her day. And so assuming that she had to be feeling at least some anxiety over it, that that should kind of speak into our lives or help us a little bit. What I mean by that is, for me, I talked about my wife and kind of the, both of us, really my wife and myself, having some anxiety over the world that our children will live in. Um, And being a news director, 
I see, you know, everything going on around the world. I see China, you know, right now just um, kind of pressing into Hong Kong and Taiwan and uh, North Korea, all the saber rattling that takes place in Iran um, and just uh, Russia even, you know, uh, amassing a military along the Ukrainian border and just all these things going on the, in the world. And at the same time, I look and I see what our military is doing and I read about and I share on the radio about how right now our military seems more focused on a social agenda than they do on the importance of getting ready to, for battle, to win wars, the purpose of the military. And if you ever, you know, hear the news that I do, you probably know what I'm talking about. But we're focused on bringing people into the military who shouldn't even be allowed to serve right now, more than on getting those who should be allowed to serve ready for battle. Enough said on that, but it causes me <laughs> some consternation and some anxiety to know that the situation in our country, should we face battle, is, is not good. It really is not, not good, I don't believe. And so that concern caused me to, to think a bit and say, what, what am I doing about that? Have I spent enough time on my knees over that? Or am I just getting worked up and anxious over it? And that was very convicting for me. And that may be convicting for you in, in whatever circumstance to realize that when we are getting anxious, what we are to do is to get on our knees and to take that to the Lord. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, something that probably a lot of us have memorized, says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what happens when we do that, when instead of um, allowing our anxiety to fester, we take it to God? Well, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so if we want that peace instead of that anxiety, I think we all want that. We need to pray and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And Hannah discovered this secret, the secret that we need to discover of the importance of prayer. And she applied it regularly by judging by the context here. Okay, so that, that's the, the really big thing here about living in a world gone mad is pray, 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 and pray some more um, is, is the key. But I want to break down the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to flip over to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 uh, and 23. Um, this is something else that I, I hope most of us kind of have in our memory bank and we're already um, striving by the grace and power of God to live according to the fruit of the Spirit and exhibit it. But it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there are nine components there of the fruit of the Spirit. These are attributes that we desire as followers of Christ, and they are keys to living for Christ and His glory in a culture like ours today. The first one listed there is love, and Hannah, Hannah really bore this out quite well. Her love for the Lord is certainly evident, um, but also just the, the way that she conducts herself. We don't have anything recorded in the scriptures of her, you know, striking back at Peninnah or speaking harshly toward Peninnah. We don't have anything recorded of her, you know, snapping at Elkanah for his insensitive comments. And 
Maybe she did. I guess I personally doubt it. And as I said, there's nothing recorded in the scriptures of that. So I get the sense that her love and her gentle and peaceful spirit, which are also components here of the fruit of the spirit, that all of these things helped her to have a peaceful confidence that the Lord was in charge. Vengeance is his. And if there's any vengeance to be meted out in this situation, let's turn it over to God. It's, um, she doesn't put the blame on God for um, her barrenness. She doesn't put the blame on God for the attacks she gets from Peninnah. And she leaves it in his hands to take care of the situation. And as a result, we see fruits like love and we see the patience that she has. We see the gentleness that she exhibits. A lot of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are borne out in how she conducts herself. And the lesson that I kind of brought home for myself out of that is when we are faced with persecution from whatever source, some of you may have had some persecution that you faced on the job, um, maybe in your own family, when you've tried to talk about the truth of the word of God or some issue um, from a, a biblical worldview, and you've tried to relate that or share that with someone, have you gotten some harshness, some maybe even some canceling of you. Um, the first service, I talked a little bit about how um, persecution today could be called cancel culture. They're kind of synonyms. <laughs> if you're familiar at all with the cancel culture uh, term, it's in essence, it boils down to people don't even want to debate or argue with us anymore. They just want to simply cancel you. They're just not going to pay attention to you at all, not listen to you at all. Um, that's what cancel culture is all about. And so that type of situation, when we are faced with it, we can turn and we can look at Hannah's example and say, how did she deal with the hardship and the insult? Well, she did, I believe, what the scriptures instruct us to do, and that is to take it before the Lord. Take that persecution that you face, those harsh words that you have received and lay them before the Lord and say, God, I don't want to fight back, fight fire with fire. I want to love and do good to my enemies as we're told to do in the scriptures. And so help me to do that. And it's apparent that Hannah really did that. Um, and I, I think we really need to be strong in, in, in striving to do this because I don't know about you, but I only see persecution increasing for those of us here in America. Um, we haven't experienced, we all know we haven't experienced anything remotely like other countries, but I'm one that uh, when I look at the scriptures, I just see, you know, an intensification of the persecution that we'll face. That's not a real pleasant, positive thing to think about this morning, but that's the reality of it, I believe. And so we're really going to need to be grounded in understanding how to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and to be diligent in prayer when we face this. Well, another aspect here is joy. I want to spend a moment talking about the fruit called joy because uh, when, I, when I put this together and thought about this, I, I asked myself the question, would Hannah have joy if she were not given a son like she prayed for, would she still have joy? Maybe you've thought about that question. Um, and we're not told the answer uh, in Scripture here. She was given her son, so she got the answer that she asked for. Um, but I sincerely believe that she would still have joy because Hannah understood 
that her joy is not an emotion that's fleeting like happiness is. Joy and happiness are very different, and we need to understand the difference between the two. Her joy comes from knowing God, from having a relationship with her creator, and the time of fellowship that she spends with her creator that we read about here. It doesn't come from her circumstances, and that's really a big key for us too. We can have a really bad day where we're not happy at all. We're very unhappy. We might have a season where we're very unhappy in life. And yet at the same time, we can still hang on to that joy. It's a big difference because joy and the fruit of the Spirit called joy comes from knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him. And it doesn't leave. Just like Jesus is not going to leave you if you know him and have that relationship with him, the joy that he brings isn't either. Um, So remember that. We can be unhappy and still have joy. And Hannah You know, Hannah, I have no doubt, she was probably had a lot of days where she was unhappy about her barrenness, but at the same time, she still was filled with joy. Excuse me. All right, so what about the next one in the list? Um, Well, we talked about love, um, peace. I shared a little bit about how she can have peace even if she has some anxiety. Patience or long-suffering, as some translations say, is evident throughout Hannah's story. I hardly have to bring that up at all because it is just really apparent that she um, bore with this situation for some time. We, you know, we see or we, we read the, the prayer in the temple where Eli thinks that she's drunk, but um, there had to have been a lot of times prior to that that Hannah was praying and that she was diligently and fervently bearing with this time, this season of barrenness. I anticipate it was going on probably for a long time. And then after this particular prayer that we get to read about, they go home, Elkanah lies with his wife, and um, she becomes pregnant and has a son. So um, problem, quote unquote, taken care of. But there was a lot of pain through this whole season of life for her, and she displayed a lot of patience. And I thought about that in terms of us today. And I don't know about you, you may not be as concerned about things going on in our government as I am. Again, maybe this comes from my news director position. But as I look at the direction that our nation is headed and the path that it is on, it has become very difficult for me already just in a few months to remain patient. It's like, Lord, how long will this go on? How bad will this get? How far will it go? And then I remind myself not only of Hannah's struggle, but of down through the generations and history. My kids are studying some of the Greco-Roman history right now and looking at Rome and Nero. And (laughs) I think about, wow, the Christians were, many of them were martyred and killed, burned at the stake, given over to lions um, as a sporting event. And so they patiently endured this affliction so much so and were such good witnesses in bearing through those times that Christianity just took off and flourished after that time period. And so that needs to be our attitude and focus as well. We need to understand what it's like to be long-suffering, to be patient in affliction, and again, to take that struggle and the time of enduring whatever it is, whether it's government affliction or just the um, affliction from persecution or whatever, taking that to God, persevering through it, asking Him to work in uh, and through us in those circumstances. And so 
Hannah, to me, is a good example of patience. And then you've got uh, just kind of making an umbrella here out of the others, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I just lump that together. And um, I see one thing in how she responded to Eli's accusation of her being drunk. She didn't snap at him. She was very respectful. She was very gentle uh, in her comments. And so she exhibited fruit of the Spirit in that. She humbled herself before God and man, even when she was unjustly charged in that circumstance. And she remained faithful and self-controlled. And that is something that we are really going to have to do as well in our day and age. Um, Who knows what we're going to face? Um, You know, I've was sharing about the pastor in Canada who's in prison, in jail um, right now for having a service just like this, probably about the size of a service too. It wasn't a big service um, during this time of COVID. And um, he felt that's what God called him to do, to have a service. And because of the COVID restrictions and the like, he's in jail right now. Um, And so who knows what we will face? Will there be something like that that will come? For Hannah, it was the burden of barrenness. For us, it will be something you know much different, most likely. But this is really striking close to home that as believers, we are going to endure things that are going to require patience. They're going to require our faithfulness and our gentleness and self-control and all of these things. Now for Hannah, I'm going to flip back here to 1 Samuel chapter 2. I want to look just a moment at the prayer that um, she offers and talk a bit about how that displayed faithfulness because sometimes when we look at this prayer that um, she shared, it can seem like there's a little bit of bitterness uh, coming out there from her. And let me just read a few verses and we'll talk about that. It says uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. That seems like that's maybe directed at Peninnah, doesn't it? We'll talk about that here in a second. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. By the way, I think I forgot to mention this in the first service, but You get the bonus of me remembering to say that after Hannah gave her first son, Samuel, to the service of the Lord in the temple, she was blessed with three sons and two more daughters. You can see that a little bit later on in chapter two. So um, even in fulfilling her vow and giving up her son, the Lord poured out blessing upon her. And so her comment of she who was barren has borne seven children um, is, is truthful here. Um, and then it goes on to say, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts um, and, and so on. I'll, I'll pause there for a second. I do want to share a couple more out of there. But so you get this um, sense that maybe she's a little bit vindictive toward Peninnah in this prayer. But I want us to realize that what she is expressing is a desire for the justice and righteousness of God to prevail and for all those who despise him to get, in essence, what they deserve. In other words, for God's will to be done. And I I don't see this as being her 
pronouncing judgment upon Peninnah per se, but pointing out that should, whether it's Peninnah or someone in your life that doesn't know the Lord and refuses to repent and receive him, this is a truthful prayer expressing what God will do and pointing out that if you choose to continue to rebel against the gift of God, his grace that saves us, that he provides for everyone, this is what you will face. Um, so Penina, for example, she who has had many sons, pines away. The Lord brings death, um, brings down to the grave. And so this language is just expressing the reality of what will transpire for all those who remain in sin and refuse to repent. And so um, I find this to be a, a good prayer really for us to emulate, to help us when we are um, looking at the world that we live in, realizing that we have, um, I believe, some leaders who uh, don't appear to be living according to the Word of God. We have a, a dual-fold role in that situation in that we are called, first and foremost, to pray for our leaders, to pray for their salvation, to understand that um, we need to be very fervent and diligent in praying that everyone, whether it be leaders or every man, every woman, would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So that's our number one goal here is to pray for their salvation. Um, and Hannah expresses um, that desire as well, I believe. Um, but at the same time, the chief example from this prayer that we can see is that while we pray for the salvation of our leaders, we also, in essence, don't uh, agree necessarily with what they're doing. So we can condemn the policies. We don't support the murder of the unborn that's being promoted by our present government. We don't support any blatant violation of God's commands that's taking place under leadership. Um, but we do pray for them to know the Lord because we should all recognize, I know I, I do in my life, that it wasn't really until I came to faith in Jesus Christ that my mind was changed, transformed, renewed over a, a number of different issues. And so in reality, that's why we pray for people's salvation because all the arguments in the world that we make to defend the unborn, for example, um, are not going to carry the, the weight of someone coming to know Jesus, having the Holy Spirit um, indwell them, and then it's the Spirit of God working in them that will help um, them to realize and understand what God's word says about, you know, the issue of the pro-life issue or whatever it may be. And so that's why we have this dual fold role of praying for their salvation, but also calling out the dangerous path that our nation is moving toward and praying against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that in many times or in many regards are in control of people's minds and um, whether that be the leaders today or what, whoever it may be, those spiritual forces of evil are at work and we need to pray against those at the same time as we pray for people to come to know Jesus. And so we have this, this balance in the crazy world that we live in of um, in a world that's strayed far from the will of God. We need action and standing for God's truth but we also need the priority of prayer, asking him to do the work that only he can do. And so 
the core part of this that I want to just as we, we conclude and, and wrap this all together are two things. One is the, the prayer aspect that I mentioned, first and foremost. Uh, the second is the whole fruit of, fruit of the Spirit component that we need to live according to. And as we think about both of these and, and consider how Hannah exhibited these things in her life and how we can use her example, I want to really stress that I've, I've lifted up Hannah because she, she did exhibit some of the fruit of the Spirit. However, like me, like all of us, she is a broken, sinful, fallen person. And we need to remember that we can take ex- examples from the lives of characters from the Bible and get some life lessons for them, but we are not to lift up these people or idolize them. We're not making an idol or a, putting a Hannah on a platform here because God alone is worthy of our praise and Jesus is really the only role model. He is the true role model that we should pattern our lives after and that we are to follow. God is working in us to mold us into the image of his son, not into Hannah's image. And so while we appreciate um, what we've been able to apply to our lives from Hannah's example, we realize that that example is um, just much too low. That bar is, or target is, is way too low. We are shooting for the highest of high targets to be like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work that fruit in us, to have his way in our lives. And as we approach that day when we will come to live with him in heaven and be perfect as he is perfect, um, that is our goal and our desire by his power and his grace to live that way. And so I want to make that the prayer here as I wrap things up and we bow our heads and pray together that we would live in this manner so that the world around us that just seems to be falling apart at the seams will be able to look uh, at us and glorify our Father in heaven as they see the works that we do by his power and his grace. So let's just pray for a moment. Father, I um, want to thank you for the opportunity to glorify you and to bring your word to bear upon each of our lives. God, I recognize and understand that um, I am a sinful, broken person. And um, if there are things shared here this morning that are not glorifying to you, that are not true and faithful to your word, that I just want those to be um, removed from our minds right now, Lord. But those things that do bring you glory and that are true to your word, Lord, I want that to be cemented um, in our minds and in our hearts right now, God. So as we go forth from here, we would live um, according to um, what your word says, that we would prioritize prayer, that we would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and that um, as the world looks upon us and, and realizes that we are followers of yours, that they would desire that relationship with you also because they would see in us um, you and you alone um, that we would not receive any glory or praise, but you would receive it all for you are worthy of all praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.